Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. Welcome to another edition of Shark Bite Biz, and I'm your rocking host, David Strausser. Today's episode is special. Yes, another special episode for Shark Bite Biz, as we have a super amazing guest today. I'd like to think all episodes are incredible, but this one, truthfully, it's over the top. Truth is that small business owners are creative people. They started a brand and a business from the ground up with only having a dream. During this global pandemic, many businesses and people are suffering, especially if you're in one of those creative businesses and industries like a band and music. You just can't do an event and make your money like you used to. That's where I like to combine my passion of rock music with my passion of small business love and hit two birds with one stone. Today's show is going to discuss what one man, Brian Vanderark, and you You may know him as the lead singer of the rock band, The Verb Pipe, is doing to stay productive and pay the bills during this global crisis. Brian Vanderark is a lead singer and principal songwriter for the multi-platinum rock band, The Verb Pipe, recognized worldwide for their hits, Photograph, Colorful, Never Let You Down, and the number one smash single, The Freshman. Along with success on radio, TV, and film, sold out concert dates, videos, MTV, and VH1, as well as features in Rolling Stone and more, Brian and the band has also made numerous television appearances, including The Tonight Show and Late Night with David Letterman. Whether solo or with the verb pipe, Brian tours throughout North America, including appearances at Lollapalooza, the Austin City Limits Festival, Lincoln Center, Summer Stage in Central Park, and many more. So without further delay, let's bring Brian on in here. Creative and innovation tips. Hey, Brian Vanderark, lead singer of the Verb Pipe, and dare I say, business professional. Welcome to Shark Bite Biz. Thanks for having me, David. Oh, no problem. You know, I'm always starstruck when I get to see one of my favorite artists from what I was growing up, be it a pick a senior when the freshman came out. So let's start this off with a real softball question for you, okay? For our viewers who maybe only know you as the lead singer of the guy who sings The Freshman, how about you give us a little bit of background and some of your experience about you? Yeah, of course. Well, I'm from Michigan. I grew up in Western Michigan. I got my first gig in the Holiday Inn bars when I was 16 years old. And then I joined the Army to gain some experience as a songwriter. And when I got out of the Army, I got my job back at the Hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You joined the Army to gain experience as a songwriter? As a songwriter. You see, you'll understand this when I explain this. I had never traveled anywhere up to that point. I'd never been on a plane up until that point. Uh, Right? So I'm stuck in western Michigan. The shackles of a city that, you know, is just spinning its wheels, you know, with very conservative. And I thought, well, if I'm going to, you know, be a singer songwriter, I'm going to have to get some experience and also a little bit of college money, that kind of thing. So I joined the army. I didn't have to join for four years. I should have went in for two, but I thought, well, if I'm going to go in, I'm going to go in. Uh, And I got out for four years. 
I went for four years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so I went over to Europe. I mean, I worked on the border of Czechoslovakia and East Germany back uh, in 1984 when, you know, when Reagan was in charge and it was still communist over there. And, uh, you know, I, I, in, in my speaking gigs, I tell, you know, I tell some stories about that as well, about that trying to make a connection with the other side mm-hmm. in my own little way as a 19-year-old soldier. <laughs> Uh, and the way I did that was I put my snuck up to the border one night and put my cigarettes up on the border stone and went back and waited and waited and waited. I went back and I checked out and I went back up to the border stone and the cigarettes were still there. And I did that for probably six weeks. And finally I went up there to get my cigarettes back. And I'm like, Oh, my cigarettes are still there. And I picked them up and they were Czechoslovakian cigarettes. <laughs> I was able to make that connection. Uh, that, that, that's pretty awesome. That's so these are stories. I mean, that's a story, yeah. you know, I can write about and that kind of thing. So a uh, long story short, you know, uh, you asked about the history. I, I you know, when I went back to the Howard Inn uh, gig, I, I formed a band and uh, called the Vert Pipe. And we, you know, we sold a couple of independent records on our own and sold, you know, maybe 50, 60,000 of them. And, and that's got the attention of RCA Records. And they signed us to a deal. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And when you're talking about that deal with RCA Records, I think a lot of people will think, okay, the music industry, yeah, that's an industry, that's business. But sure. I don't think a lot of people... I mean, they, they don't really think about the, the business side of bands, of the image, your brand, stuff like that. How do you really view that as a business, Brian Vanderark, the verb pipe? I'm much better now. Like, I wish I had signed the deal now because I know a lot more about business and about the business of music. And I would do much better and I would work closer hand in hand with a label for the common goal of selling a lot of records. You know, there was a lot of resistance for selling out when, you know, when it was the early 90s. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so, you know, we resisted it, you know, we fought with RCA quite a bit about things when we shouldn't have and that kind of thing. But understanding now that, you know, 95% of the bands that, you know, record labels signed back then, 95% of those were failures. They mm-hmm. make all of their money on the 5% that are successful. So they make right. so much money on that 5% that it sustains their business. That's their business right. model, which is crazy to me. So you really had to get attention, get the attention of your record label to be able to do anything and get a priority. And we were fortunate. You know, my manager you know, said, look, look, Atlantic wants you and RCA wants you. RCA doesn't have anybody right now but ZZ Top and... A, a new young kid named Dave Matthews, who nobody knew. <laughs> and they said, and he said, you know, you might want to go with them because you're going to get a lot of priority. And, you know, he was right. You know, God bless him. So we went. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it worked out good. It worked out good. It, yeah, it did really work out good. But I, I tell you what, RCA with Dave Matthews, Easy Top. The verb pipe, that's a pretty good lineup right there. <laughs> they were pretty good. I mean, actually, when the mid-90s came around and Dave was really taken off. Oh, yeah. Oh, we did pretty well in 97. And then they signed the Foo Fighters after us. Yeah. And then the Foo Fighters got all the attention. <laughs> and yeah. I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan, but <laughs> it's, it's business. You know, yeah, so they, 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 they took the it away from you. Yeah, they took the priority away. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's a bit cutthroat, too. You know, your career, I, I guess, put it mildly, you can kind of say maybe it had some ups and downs. But 
What I really respect, as I found out more about you as an individual, and just the way you've had to, to change and evolve so that you could still keep doing what you love, it's a really amazing story. Can you tell us about those, some of those highs and lows and how you've had to evolve your brand just yep. to stay relevant? Sure. I mean, of course, when we signed with RCA, I was living in a storage unit. Uh, in the 90s, bands used to rent out storage units for 100 hours a month and you'd store yeah. your gear there, but you'd make sure they were powered because you were going to rehearse there. Well, I moved into the storage unit because I, I got kicked out of my our apartment with my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> for a number of very good reasons, by the way. But I lived there. So I went from mattress on the floor squalor Right. To getting a call from Jerry Harrison of the Talking Heads, who says, you've got to come to San Francisco and live on the houseboats and record your album out here where Metallica's recording right now and we're yeah. recording rumors and all this stuff. So then you go and do that. And then you get a call from Gene Simmons, who heard, you know, from Kiss, who heard your, you know, debut album before it came out. And he says, hey, you want to come tour with Kiss? And we're like, oh, my God, it's amazing which it was not. It was a terrible tour, the worst tour I've been on in my life. We got food every night. Nobody wants to see uh, some local band, you know, some right, local, right. When they pay the money to see Kiss. Uh, but then, I think yeah. of the show that Kiss puts on because they're, they're one of the bands I view. They're more about the show, I think, than the music. Absolutely. Right? It's yeah. a spectacle. And right. Kiss had been broken up, or not broken up, but they had taken the mass off and they had all the old, they had different players, you know, but they were going to get all the original players together and put the makeup back on and, and have the explosions and the whole thing. So we jumped on the chance and, oh man, that was, that was not good for us. But regardless, RCA did a heck of a job with our first single called Photograph. And then we had the Ace Up Our Sleeve, which was a song called The Freshman. That's the most popular right. song for us. So, Did you know The Freshman was going to be that big of a hit? Did you guys just record it and you're like, hey, this is good. This is going to be famous. Or... I had a good feeling when I wrote the song and I played it. I think that night when I finished it, I played the song that night. I messed up all the lyrics, but I had I had a few of the lyrics right, like she was touching her face, I got right, and for the life of me, I cannot. And after I played it, the first night I ever played it, I had a dozen people come up and say, what was that song about the girl touching her face and the whole thing? And I'm like, oh, there's something here. And so we recorded a demo version of it, and that was on our first uh, Verve Pipe album. And then we, when we signed with RCA, we stripped that version off to go do a modern rock version of it, which is what we right. did. So, and that's the song that everybody—that's the version everybody knows that became a big hit. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what with that song? I want to get more into the business side, but I have to sure. ask you about the song, obviously. What really inspired that song, the lyrics, the story behind it? I've read a few things online. I don't know if it's true or not. I yeah. figured I'd ask the source himself. <laughs> those, those stories changed over the years. <laughs> you know, the original story is basically it was a short story I'd written. Uh, I had gone out with a girl uh, for a while, and then my buddy went out with her when we broke up, and then they broke up, and I went out with her again while she gets pregnant. And then she has an abortion. And in the that's where the truth ends. Okay. Right? Nobody, we don't, neither one of us know who the father is. And mm -hmm. the truth ends, I mean, the truth ends there. And then I then for poetic license, I, I have her commit suicide, which is a, right. it's a very neophyte songwriter thing to do. I'm going to make this really dramatic and she's going to kill herself. You know, it's one of the things I regret about the lyric is that yeah. it, have, it didn't have to go that dark. 
Yeah, you know, it, it, it got abortion and you know, then you got suicide. I don't know. It, it's dark, but it's still it, it's dark in a beautiful way. It's it's very very artistic, and yeah, it comes across that way. Yeah. So with the global pandemic right now, you're in the creative field with your brand, your music. How hard is this pandemic for people like you? I mean, I can't even express. I mean, it's really hard to like. I, I can't under undersell how hard it is <laughs> <You know? laughs> or oversell, I guess, how hard it is. Listen, this here, here's the reality. Last weekend was the first time I played live shows in four months. Right. Where'd you and play out of it? But I had to play, I had to fly to, to Seattle and then, <laughs> you know, and then fly to Spokane and do a show out there. And then I had to fly to Chicago to do a show. Now these are private shows, so right. there's no, there's no, and there's no kind of barrier between you as an artist and the fan. So as careful as I am, plane, the plane was super safe. The airport's safe. Everybody's right. wearing masks. You get to a party, and people mm -hmm. aren't wearing masks, right. and they're not social distancing. Mm -hmm. And somebody's, and there's alcohol involved. And when alcohol's involved. Not on my side, but when alcohol is involved in the crowd, things get really loose. Yeah, yeah, you know, you got liquids flying. <laughs> grabbing microphones and, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And then I got to sing in that mic. So I have to come home then and I have to quarantine myself. Now, I've quarantined myself now for five days down in the basement here in my studio apartment, which is still right. nice. But I can't, you know, I got to wear a mask when I'm around the kids and the whole thing. You know, that's really difficult enough. Not to mention... You know, merchandise sales, of course, we're not playing live shows, so you're not selling merchandise. Streaming, you get paid 0.00005 cents per stream. You know, I got I got I had four million streams of the freshman in a quarter, and I made I, I got a check for two hundred dollars for that. I mean, there, there so it's really there's there's hardly a way to make money. You have to find a way, and I have been able to find a way again how to make money and survive, but it's I, I can't tell you how bad it really is tough. And if it's tough for me, it's a, it's a lot tougher for a lot of other Brian. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, I saw one of the things that you're doing the other day. I see that you're extremely active on Twitter. And I saw how you have Patreon that you're using with yeah. subscriptions. Is this because of the current pandemic? Absolutely. My wife and I sat down with this. When, when all of the tours got canceled, we lost, I mean, we lost most of our income, right? I right. we was like, what are we going to do? Well, we get we can get into our IRA now, you know, we're, we're not going to be penalized. We can pay it back in a couple of years or whatever the laws were. I thought, well, you know, we're not going to qualify for unemployment because at that point, you know, nobody knew what to do when you're a you know independent contractor. Um, so I said, well, I'm going to look into this Patreon thing. And then that's what I did, patreon.com slash Brian Vanderark. And what you do is people sign up and they can sign up for as little as $3 a month. I go from $3 tier to $10 tier to $25 tier to $50 tier. And then they get things for that. And I go on there two or three times a week and post like rare, rare recordings. Or I, today I just posted a lyric, lyric process for this song I wrote for Rockstar called Colorful. And it shows the initial yeah, of the idea, you know, where there's just the one line. And then the next day I'm working on another song and I get another germ of an idea. So I put all those up. And it just gives people insight on what's going on for me as an artist. And it's very supportive. So me having 150, about 150 subscribers right now, I mean, that that pays the mortgage and then some. I mean, it's terrific. Yeah. It's very helpful. So 
first off, I want to mention people may think, oh, $50 a month, that's high. But I was looking. I mean, there's some really cool value that you even give with that, which is, I believe, the VIP access stuff for the concerts and yep. stuff. So it's not like you're just saying, hey, Brian, you know, you can watch some exclusive videos. No, I mean, you're giving, you know, essentially access to meet with you then at shows too. That's right. You you give, you give have to give 100% access to make it work, in my opinion. This is how I could make it work. I'm not, you know, if I was Bono when I was doing that, it would be a little different. But for me. It, it'd probably be 1,050 a month. That's right. That's right, at least. So uh, for me to, to, to put myself out there and say, you can have, total access to me. I respond to everybody's comments. That's a patron, everybody's emails. And they, you know, I sing happy birthdays and call them on their birthday, you know, that kind of set of messages. I do guitar lessons. I do all of this stuff and they get a priority, always get the priority over Instagram or Twitter messages or even email. I go to the patrons first because they're the ones that are really keeping me afloat right now. Right. So, how long have you had that for? Because he's mentioned you have about 150 sub paid subscribers on that. How long did that take to build up? Was it slow? Did it just kind of all come at once? I think immediately, it was probably probably 30 or 40. And then, you know, over the course of the last, I think I've been on for almost three months now. Wow. It's grown. I think I might be at 120, 129, something like that. So not quite 150, but, you know, for it's instance. It's okay to overestimate on this show. We're in sales. Oh yeah, I'm a terrible salesman. Uh, but the fact is, is like somebody will write me and say, "Hey, will you listen to some of my demos?" You know, and, and like normally you go, well, I, you know, my time is valuable, right?" Yes, it is. I listen to everybody's de demos, and I wouldn't have enough time to write my own demos. But I offer that in one of the tiers: is that I'll lend you my ear. I produce Verve Pipe Records. You can send me up to six songs a year. And I'll listen to them and I'll give my input and I'll help you rework a lyric to make it work. So all of the things I've been asked to do over the years, I found a way to make it uh, make it work. So instead of charging somebody for me to listen to their demo, I could charge them $100 or I get them to sign up for $25 a month. And I've got it's the same thing with all, you know, Adobe subscription services. Right. Everything's about the size. Let it slide. And eventually you're going to make more money than you originally would. It's a patience game. Right, right. No, and that that's really smart because I mean you are essentially doing independent consulting. Exactly. You know, people were asking you to do that for free, or maybe they pay you to do it before, and now Patreon has allowed you to come out with a essentially a SaaS model, a subscription model that you can do that for and make it real standardized too, so that you know what you have to do, you've got to fit within the box. So now, obviously, you have a name. You've had a number one hit. You have something, you know, to run off of with a Patreon. What about the smaller artists out there, the smaller creative people like you? How do you think they can kind of adjust with the, the current pandemic to try to bring in some, some in, uh, you know, revenue? It's a great question. It's difficult right now to bring revenue in from any source as a musician. What I tell musicians now is I say, the universe is forcing you to be creative. Mm -hmm. You have to take this time and create content. You should be creating content every single day, whether it be videos, whether it be you know songs, whether it be whatever it is you do, 
this is how you need to spend your days. Start your own Patreon page and go to your friends and family first, because you're going to have some family members or some friends who are still making a great living and they're right. going to help you. And it's not like you asking, can I borrow 10 grand? You're saying, hey, support my effort here to be an artist. You know what I right. mean? Other than that, there's not a whole lot you can do to actually make money. There are streaming, uh, video streaming services where you can get paid as yeah, well. Yeah. But if you're an unknown artist, you know, you're going to get 10, 20 people on there. You can have a virtual tip jar and that kind of thing. Those little things help. But if you're an artist who is trying to make a living as an artist right now, mm -hmm. you'd be hard pressed to be able to do that, to actually pay, you know, put food on the table for your kids. Very difficult right now. So everything you just said essentially just validated this channel and this new podcast for me. Thank you, Brian. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, shameless plug, Sharkbite Fizz also has a Patreon account at patreon.com slash sharkbitefizz. Very good. <laughs> have Very to throw it out there. Have to throw it out there. I guess when do you think that you may be doing shows again? Because we're in this weird stage right now. It looked like, hey, things are going to reopen and now we're going backwards again. I mean, is this kind of scaring you? What you're, saying, what you're saying is very true, uh, that it looks like things are going to happen. We rebooked all of our April tour for July. Mm -hmm. And then, as you can see, I'm home. So the yeah. July July got canceled. So we rebooked them for October. October just got canceled. So now we've just decided, look, we're going to take this time, like I said, to be creative, create content, work on my Patreon page, work on new albums and that kind of thing, and go out next year. I'm very hopeful that this whole thing will be over enough where we can go out safely in 2021. But I'm not, I, I can't have any kind of expectations beyond that. You can always have goals, right? There's so many goals that are out of your control. Mm -hmm. And I found that if I have very lofty goals, if I can achieve them with the help of, you know, what's going on in the world where things aren't continuously batting me down, then I feel great. But if I put those goals up there and I can't do anything and things are happening that are beyond my control, you go into a funk and a depression. Right. Nobody wants that. I'm trying to stay optimistic and trying to create art that isn't all the same. I hate my dad songs, you know, of the 90s. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't hate my oh, dad. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. Yeah, but I mean, that's just the phrase that we use is that yes. dad songs. So earlier on, before we started talking about the current condition, one thing that we touched on was your career and your brand and how you had to reinvent yourself to stay relevant. Right. Do you want to talk about some of those changes? Because I think, honestly, my take is the changes that you did, a lot of artists would not have done because of their egos. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I really respect you. Yeah. You've got to leave your ego at the door, uh, you know, when you're, you know, I'll tell you really briefly, I'll tell you the story. You know, I was down, uh, I, ma I married uh, my wife, I was living in an RV and I was traveling around and, and I was out of money because our one of our albums, our big album failed. Mm -hmm. And then we went out and we made an album that was going to be amazing. It had the song Colorful, it was in the Rockstar soundtrack. We had another song that was gonna to be top 10. It was, it was it had a bullet and the whole thing. And then 9-11 happened. And so I sold everything, bought the RV, went on the road, met my wife, and then realized that I couldn't make money doing this. 
so because we we went and bought a house in 2008, another mistake, you know. Again, things that you think, well, that's really under my control or not. I don't know. Right, right, right. I didn't really understand the real estate market and the bubble that was happening. So, so then we couldn't pay the mortgage, and I got a call from a fan, and she said, "Hey, well, wonder if you'd come play my birthday party." And I'm like, "I'm kind of a rock star. I don't play birthday parties." There's the ego. And she said, I'll pay you $2,500. And I'm like, what time is that party? You know, so I pack up my guitar and I drive to her house and play at her party. She's got folding chairs out in her living room. It's like a venue. And there are fresh flowers, you know, in the vases. And there's family photos on the walls. And I play for her family and friends. I play for an hour. And it was spectacular. And I'm driving home that night. I got a check for $2,500 in one pocket, $500 in merchandise sales in the other pocket. And I'm like, I have... 4,000 people on my mailing list and they all have birthdays, that's $10 million. <laughs> so I, had to take that, I had to take that and make it more realistic. Uh, but I sent an email out to my fan base and I said, look, it's hard to make it in the music industry. Book me into your home. We'll cut out the middleman. Just come to me directly. Right. No agents, no managers. I'll come into your home. I'll play for an hour. I'll hang out for an hour with you and sign autographs and take pictures and teach your kid how to play some guitar chords or whatever. And I sent the email out and within, you know, within 24 hours, I booked 52 shows. I mean, it was it was a spectacular response that people wanted music in their home. This is back in 2007 where nobody was really doing it yet. Now house that's concerts it. are becoming more really and more popular. Innovative. I mean, that's really ahead of the curve. I mean, it's almost like an old school cameo in a way. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, you know, I got the idea originally that you could actually do this and make it fun from the old uh, the old 60s playboy channel hugh hafner would do nights or not yeah. play night and you'd have people playing the piano and you know there'd be people sitting around and singing along it was super fun and very cool yeah. that kind of thing but if you go way back to the 1920s and those old parties were hey everybody come to the piano i'm gonna play a song you know that kind of thing you can have music in your home you don't need the lights you don't need the sound system you don't need the reverb mm -hmm. and the big effects it's just a guitar and a guy playing, and uh, and it turns out people really, really love that. So uh, that's that, how I ended up reinventing myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But another way that you reinvented yourself, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you also started doing like children albums as well too, right? That's right, yeah. Well, when streaming took over and we weren't making as much merchandise, I, I realized as a parent that every time I go to any kind of kids, I've got young kids, so anytime I go to a kid's, any kind of performance, if I buy one t-shirt for one of my kids, I'm buying t-shirts for all of my kids. Right. So I, wow, that's now there's something. Let's do a kids album. And we did, and we tripled, quadrupled our our sales, you know, our merchandise sales. Right. And we even quadrupled our our CD sales because kids want to leave with something. You yeah. know what I mean? They don't even know what the CD is. <laughs> have their parents buy this thing for ten dollars and we're gonna sign it and say hi and take a picture and that whole thing so that that was a and that was kind of a lucky thing for us too that was not planned but it, right. it but worked out great it's good it's good music and that's what I was also referring to as far as like with the ego a lot of bands won't even I'm not doing kids albums that's a very smart business move I've listened to the music my kids love the music, like a bedtime song, I believe, which is almost like, to me, it's kind of like rock ballad-ish. And then you have, yeah. I think, a song about the 
what was it, spaghetti and meatballs uh, or something? Yeah, Remember? yeah, yeah. Well, all, the, all the fun things like, uh, yeah, why do you call it hamburger? There's no ham in it, you know, that kind of thing. But they're actual rock songs, though. Yeah, yeah, they're rock songs. We use, we use all the same instrumentation we do on our regular rock albums. We do four-part harmonies, you know. We produce it, and it sounds like a huge rock song, but they're they're songs about shenanigans and questions mm -hmm. that kids have, and but they are a lot of fun. And, you know, Sirius XM picked it up. Kids Place Live picked it up and played the heck out of that first record. And not that we thought, well, we got to make another album. So we made a second kids album then, you know. Yeah. We don't make kids albums anymore. We don't do kids shows anymore. Those are exhausting. But we, we, <laughs> we still do kids songs on occasion. So do you have a new album then that's coming out? I've been working on a kids album for five years now. It's a, it's a conceptual album. It's kind of like the it's kind of like Pink Floyd's The Wall, but okay. for kids. But for kids, so yes, kids need the trip. Story, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole story to it. The songs are a linear story and that whole thing. And it's been it's been my Chinese democracy, if you know that Guns. Oh and yeah, Roses. yes, Guns and Roses. Yeah, yeah. What about regular adult verb pipe? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we're continuously making albums. We put out an album in 2014, and then we made another album that we put out in 2017, and now we're going to be putting out another album here in a few months. So. Oh, that's, that's to make music. Yeah, and this album should come faster if we can get back in the studio together sooner. If you don't mind, I have two non-business questions I want to ask you. Sure. Just, uh, I don't know if you can see the wall behind me, but I got a few of my heroes up there from Alice Cooper. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I got my Steven Tyler and Joe Perry right over there. Nice. Have you worked with Alice, Steven, Joe, any of those? Oh, man. I mean, no, the, the famous people that I've worked with and, and been with are guys that aren't really in the music world First, Jeff Daniels. I made an album with Jeff Daniels, the actor. Yeah. He's a terrific musician as well. People don't typically know that because he doesn't tour a lot, but we made an album together and make music together. My connection with Alice Cooper is Detroit. You know, my my you know, my whole life has been in Michigan, you know, Bob Seeger and Ted Nugent, all those guys, you know, oh, yeah. all those guys for years, you know. And then the newer guys, you know, um, that come up that are from Michigan as well. So, you know, I try to keep I try to keep with the scene as much. But I never, you know, I've never gone to the Grammy. We weren't nominated for a Grammy. So I haven't been in those situations no. where I meet those other artists. We were always on the road. You know, yeah. we, we really until the pandemic happened, we're on the road constantly. So we're playing all the time. We never get to go see other bands or meet other musicians, you know. Right, right, right. No, I get you totally. So I guess the question I'm going to ask you is what kind of final words of wisdoms do you have for other creators, not just, you know, people that are artistic in general for this pandemic? Do you have any final words of advice you want to give them? Perseverance, you know, if you if this is what you want to do, if you find something, if you find your focus, right, find out where your storage unit is, you know, where you can focus on something and pursue your passion. That's the most important thing. The, the benefits for you will come at some point. But to be true to yourself and to be creative and use the right side of your brain and the left side of your brain, the, you know, the right side being the creative side and the left side being the business side and making smart decisions all the while being creative. It's a life that uh, you, there's a life that you, that you deserve. 
but it's a, it's a it's a wonderful life, a creative life, and I'm I'm thrilled to be, uh, be you know be able to do this for a living. And I I recommend people I recommend that people you know every day do something a little bit creative. You know, no matter what it is. You know, I have a lot of people, David, that come up to me and they say at these events I do, they say. You know, I've always wanted to play the piano, but uh, you know, but I'm already I'm already 50, and by the time I'm any good, I'm going to be 70. And I have to say, look, you're going to be 70 either way. <laughs> why, not, <laughs> why not be 70 and know how to play good the, at the piano? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, no, that's excellent. That's excellent advice. And before we head out, I probably should mention that besides the musical stuff, you also are a professional speaker as well, too. Yeah, I've been doing the speaking thing now for about seven years. I've now got a Rockstar Reinvention. Uh, you can go to rockstarreinvention.com and see a little bit of the story. Um, and, you know, we, we do the corporate, we did corporate events until this happened. And now we're doing Zoom events. And uh, and it's been it's been fantastic. The Zoom events are really fun because, you know, people get the Zoom fatigue. Right. And if you're looking at everybody on the screen, it's boring, 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 blah, blah, blah. Well, we do the story. My, my partner and I do the story and we I play, you know, four or five songs during it and that kind of thing. It's a whole different experience, but a lot of fun. And so far, it's been going great. Full disclosure to all our listeners out there. I've had executive luncheon events out there in Los Angeles. The last one I did before relocating to Philadelphia, I actually had Brian as the keynote speaker. We had 125-ish executives, business executives in Los Angeles there. The speech was phenomenal because you, you work in your music into the speech right. and then we had a little performance afterwards. People love it. It's very, very, very highly rated. So, Brian, people, how can they get in touch with you? I have an email address here. I'll spell it out because we have our audio listeners on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. It's info at artistinmind.com. Think like uh, Brian was just saying, artist in mind. <laughs> and then what are the other places that they can find you at? You can also find me at uh, rockstarreinvention.com, where you can see a little bit of the presentation as well. And you can go to, of course, brianvanderock.com or theverfpipe.com. And, uh, or you can go to my Patreon page, which I recommend, patreon.com slash brianvanderock. And then you cut out all the middlemen and you, <laughs> and you can communicate with me directly. Yes, your agent will love that, I think. Oh, he's going to hate this. He's going to hate this. <laughs> we won't tell him. And also, you can go find him on Twitter as well, too. I follow him on Twitter. He's got a lot of great content that he's always pushing, a lot of diverse topics. Love it. So, hey, Brian, thank you so much for coming on here. I hope in a couple months we can hopefully get you back again once the economy starts ramping back up yeah. and get your view on how it is for creatives like you. Well, I appreciate you and the fact that you brought me in to speak to your great group. And uh, and I loved, I'd love to be back on the road. So when we get back on the road as a band as well, David, please come out. Come out oh. and say, hey, and we'll, we'll take care of you. We'll give you the VIP treatment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I uh, can't wait till you guys get here to Philly. Sounds good, man. Yeah, thanks. Take care. Take care, buddy. Wow, I'm speechless. Such a deep discussion with Brian. 
You know, I really should probably apologize to people, but as such a huge fan of his work, I had to take the opportunity to ask him about some things like the origin of the freshman and who else he performed with. But I hope that gave you some insight into where the creativity comes from and also how he pays the bills and operates during this global crisis. Unlike U2, the Rolling Stones, or my personal favorite band, Aerosmith, bands that haven't made it as high as them are suffering just as much as regular small business are during these times. A band and its music is really a full-time position. And if you really think about it, Brian is a small business owner. He is struggling, just like you, me, to pay the bills, keep the lights on. But as you heard, he found some super creative ways to innovate and make the best out of a bad situation and really gives his fans some great perks in return for their support. Ultimately, Brian has made the pivots for his business that were necessary in order to allow him to survive. His creativity, drive, and passion is what allows him, in the face of this global crisis and pandemic, to continue on doing what he loves instead of being forced into another career out of necessity. What pivots have you done in the face of the global pandemic? Leave a comment down below on YouTube. Also, you know, I have to mention, as now this episode kicks off the second month of Shark Bite Biz, we only have about 20% of our viewers that are actually subscribed to the video. Yes, this is a new channel. I get that. But please, if you like the content that I'm producing, the experts that I'm bringing you, do me a favor. Smash that like button, subscribe, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Deezer, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or even both, iTunes or <laughs> TuneIn. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I think that's funny. Every time I list those two, it's like they have the same exact name, just reversed order, and they do very similar things. But it doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, if you like this information that we have coming from experts and business owners and what they're doing to change, to pivot their business, to be successful during these tough times, please, I'm asking you personally, hit that subscribe button, like, leave a comment. Let's try to help everybody we can as I take you all on this journey with me. So I guess we'll see you Thursday with our next episode of Shark Bite Biz. As always, it will be a good one with another expert out there. And I guess I'll see you then. Take care. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.